I am really digging that music now. He's got it down. He's got he it has, down, I'm telling you. He has. Uh, big thanks to Neil Pretty, who is our composer um, and big friend of uh, big friend of ours, for the, uh, the amazing intro that you just heard. Uh, I am Steve Hester, and with me, as always, is... Well, that would be me, uh, Andrew Roger Carson. But if you don't know who I am, then how in the hell did you find this show? Yes, exactly, exactly. But we are we are one great big happy family who are here to talk about movies, uh, movie related news, and talk to some really really fantastic guests coming up in the future. This is in fact a version one point one, I suppose it'd be one point five of this podcast. I- I would I would call this uh, Poddywood uh, Redux. Yes, because <laughs> yes. we've had to go back, and what you're hearing now is actually recorded uh, a few days after our initial first recording because we had a ridiculous amount of problems on the day of our recording, which started off mainly with Sky Broadband going down at 12 o'clock in the afternoon a couple of hours before we were due to start the podcast. And we'd set this podcast up over the course of two Mm -hmm. weeks. Everything was running fine. And then suddenly my internet completely disappears. My phone line was gone as well. So we were waiting for to see if it would get fixed, mainly. And we ended up using the data on my mobile phone, plugging my Mac into that. And the sound on my end was pretty bad it was terrible it really was uh so that's why we we're back to just redo this little intro um so you're going to be noticing a drop of quality later on when our special guest uh joins us but uh do not fret for it's going to be quality like this from here on out that is very true and the good thing is our guest microphone and steve's were absolutely fine it was just me sounded like i was basically on a life support system and dying. Yeah, bringing the side down, weren't you? I was. Oh, but the show must go on, as we always say. Yes. Uh, and the main thing, we, we started off with a little intro uh, on the show the other day where we were talking uh, about the Oscars, or more particular, in particular, it was the In Memoriam segment of the Oscars. And I was a bit pissed off about it. A uh, couple of days have gone by now. I'm slightly less pissed off about it. And the reason being is not because three of my friends who died last year, major contributors to this industry, uh, award-winning in some cases as well, were completely missed off the list. That's one thing. But the fact that it sped by with such speed that I had to watch it three times to catch all of the names that were in it in one of the biggest years of loss for this industry, I thought it was it was very disrespectful. And I think it's very disrespectful to the families of these artists as well. And as every single person who's in this business and successful in this business knows, you've kind of got to keep your family life and your work life separate. And it's extremely hard. Your family does lose out because you can be away for upwards of you know six months to a year and a lot of them don't grow up in the regular type way with a whole family environment, you know, but they provide for their families and do that. And can you imagine those families sitting there and seeing 
a microsecond of their parents' lives as a as a token of respect. Yeah, it was kind of tone deaf as well with the choice of music that went with it. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that, that's that's the other thing. I'm convinced <laughs> the one they used a, a very upbeat Stevie Wonder tune, and I'm convinced it was sped up as well. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I mean, I've, I I love Stevie Wonder. You know, Superstition is one of my all-time favourite tunes. And he has put out some absolute bangers over the years. But that particular one does not fit with, with like, an in-memoriam section. I mean, I can see where they're going from with, like, the, the kind of, like, the, the, the gospel feel to it all. But it doesn't allow for that kind of uh, reflection that you need when dealing with that kind of talent. And the... Let's put it this way. They had the time this year to do it, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, there was no they, need to shrink it down. they had the time. And it's, it was like uh, there was a bit of a, a, bit of a backlash uh, not so long ago. It was about a month ago, maybe, because uh, another event that's kind of like the Oscars, and it was for um, the, uh, the wrestling firm WWE. They held their Hall of Fame this year. Now, usually this event goes on for up, up to five hours, right, where... The people who are inducted will get upwards of like twenty to half, twenty minutes to half an hour to talk over their entire career and thank people. And this year, they cut the awards ceremony down to an hour and a half. Right? Where Ooh, that's a hell of a an drop. Hour, an hour and a half, and I think it's something to do with the fact that it was also like done through Peacock, and it was cut down to the point where it was no one was introducing them. They'd show a video package that was about two minutes long, maybe three minutes at a push, and they'd come out and do their talk, and they were given five minutes to do it in, and it was like, "What the hell is this shit?" <laughs> you know. And it was worst thing is, I mean, one of my good friends, Glenn Jacobs, who wrestled as Kane, he was the main inductee as well, and I felt really bad. I, I was really disappointed in it, and it was like, why? Why even bother? You know, why even bother if it's an hour and a half? If that's the case, have four people being inducted if you've got an hour yeah. and a half time frame to do it. And then give them their time to at least reflect on their career and, and thank their people and tell some funny stories, which is what it's all about, you know? Um, well, but, Glenn, I did watch, and I am incredibly proud of you going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, big up to Kane. He's always been one of my favourite uh, favorite characters in the WWE. Um, but speaking of characters and fame, are we going to get our uh, guest this week on? Yes. Uh, I wanted on the first episode that we did, obviously we're, we're going to have a very special guest on every week, and I wanted uh, my actress friend Becca Marks on, on the first one. And I've known Becca now since 2012, and she came and auditioned for me in January of 2013 at the same auditions where I met Steve here as well. Yep, yep. And uh, it was it was a great day. She absolutely blew the doors off the place uh, for her audition. She actually flew over from Germany where she was living at the time. And I met her shortly after she'd completed work on the Jason Statham movie Parker, uh, which is out now. And it's not a bad film, I've got to admit. But yeah, I wanted to have her on because she is uh, a fantastic talent, uh, a really good friend. And yeah, so we recorded this interview. And obviously there is going to be a dip 
uh, in the audio. We do apologize for that. We, it won't happen again. So please bear with us for this episode. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on today, guys. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm curious as to know, am I the guinea pig or am I like extra special because I'm the first one? <laughs> You're an extra special <laughs> guinea pig. Oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah thanks. that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> They're cute and little and fuzzy. So, so obviously, in, in, in the first talks we had that we were actually going to start this venture, and I came to you and said that you're the one person that I kind of want to come in on the first day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's mainly because over the, what is it now? Eight, is it eight years? I think it's eight years that nine. we've been friends in this business. Nine. Is it nine? Nine eight years. Eight eight nine. Who's counting? Right. Ah, yes. In the January of 2013 when you came to audition. Well, I, I met you uh, just after you'd been in the Jason Statham movie, Parker. Uh, uh, yeah. That you had filmed in Ohio before you moved to Germany. And Thanks. you flew over to audition for me. Uh, we've kind of been inseparable ever since. Uh, but the one thing is I'm always amazed to how you're able to seems to put everything on the line into what you do and i don't think people really realize the scope of talent you have which is why i wanted to have you here today uh, to really kind of you know introduce uh, yourself and kind of discuss this amazing career uh, that you've had up to this point and is obviously going to go a lot further so well let's I hope guess, <laughs> i really want to cover here and, and ask you you know where uh, this kind of journey for you really started because I think it's a very good tale for anyone out there who's you know wanting to get into the business and the avenues and the roads that you've taken so where did it all start for you was it Ohio yes um, in Cleveland I was I grew up in Shaker Heights um, you know if I were to tell the, the real truth like the moment that I decided that this is what I wanted to do with my life I was three years old believe it or not promise three years old wow um yep my mom is also a singer and when i was little and she would sing in the car as we were driving places and i remember sitting in the car and thinking oh i wish i could sing like that it's so pretty so i have such a powerful like really strong memory of that and i think that that's really when it hit and then true story um in my preschool when i was four years old we put on this show and the funny thing is, during practice, one day, one of the little boys who apparently didn't like me, or maybe he liked me, he pushed me off the stage. <laughs> and I fell off the stage. <laughs> oh, so, you no. Know, yeah, I, I remember, like, I got hurt and everything, but um, I don't know if at the time that was, like, a result of him not liking what I was doing or or what, but... I think after that moment, I vowed that I was going to get back on that stage and I was never going to get off and definitely not going to get kicked off again. So that's how it really began. <laughs> Singing was your kind of first love and first introduction to, um, I guess, the kind of business mm -hmm. and its, its various forms. I understand you had a recording contract very early on, right? Yeah. So... Um, I went to college and I studied music and voice performance. And funny thing is, um, the recording contract I had was actually like for pop and a little bit of that like R&B edge that in the early 
well, I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> um, late 90s, like early 2000s when Britney Spears first came out. So I had, um, you know, here I am. I just graduated with this degree in like opera and classical music and came home looking for a job. And I said, OK, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to like take out the phone book and I'm just going to call every single company that I see that has anything to do with music and basically ask them for a job. So I didn't get very far because I landed in the bees and ended up finding a company called Bayside Productions. And I called them up and lo and behold, this producer had just stopped working with this popular girls group. And he was looking for somebody else to kind of take under his wing and work with. So I got a contract working with him and, um, it was really exciting because it was like the first time I really got to see the nitty gritty of the industry, which you don't see as a kid growing up. And you certainly, you know, I didn't see in college. Do you still sing? I do still sing. Yes. Oh, you know what's coming next, don't you? No, I'm not going to sing today, actually. <laughs> oh, go <laughs> <Thank> on. you. <laughs> There's so many different avenues to sing. And because you are really classically trained in that music um but but you also sing a lot of different things i know that you've had various experience because you've done the, the smoky bar singing mm-hmm. you know and, and you've you've sang with grammy winners on the other side and then mm-hmm. you've also sang you know possibly <laughs> what i always think is uh, a singer's greatest moment is when they get to sing that national anthem and you've done that as i understand I have done that. I had my face on the Jumbotron yes. in Cleveland. I think at the time it was called Jacob's Field. I don't know what it's called now. Um, singing the national anthem for the Indians game. Oh, wow. So that was, yeah, that was really, that was really wow. fun. But How many people were there? Was it a packed stadium? Um, yeah, uh, 60,000, 40,000. Wow. If somebody, like, if somebody now goes and facts, fact checks me, I'm not trying to exaggerate. I just really don't know. <laughs> I cannot um, honestly like, imagine standing in front of that many people. Oh, it's fantastic. I have to tell you, it's funny because my husband my husband is my number one fan, which is really sweet. And he always asks me to sing for him. Or if I'm like cleaning and singing around the house, whatever, he always comments on how he loves it and he wants me to sing more. But singing for him or for one person is so hard for me. I get really nervous for that. But stick me in the middle of a field with like a hundred thousand people watching and i'm fine i know i know exactly what you mean kid uh, right? most of yeah. my experience has been on stage and usually yeah. the bigger the auditorium and the more people that's in it it's kind of almost like a sense of anonymity yeah and i you know i think when you're performing for one person or for a smaller crowd regardless if i'm like singing singing to the radio or um in a studio or whatever when you're one-on-one or in that small group I feel that there's more pressure to really provide the people listening with that emotional ride that is the intent of the music. And you you just don't want to get it wrong. You know, like I perform, I sing because I love how the music and the lyrics move me and help me express. And I want that to be delivered to the listener. When you have 60,000 or whatever people, I guess I feel like well, at least I'll I'll get to one of them maybe, right? <laughs> it's just that pressure is off when, like you said, it's just a little more anonymous. Um, 
I don't have that connection where I feel responsible for the other person's emotions quite the same way. So, because I remember I've I've seen the concert footage of you because I I know that you've performed uh, the Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that in a concert setting, and I've actually seen the footage and I was amazed to kind of hear this voice from you in the first footage that I ever seen because we've been friends a while and then mm-hmm. I'd seen it. And what's the, what's the kind of pressure of really taking on, you know, those kind of performances? Because, you know, they're not performances that are easy by any stretch of the imagination. Was there any kind of, you know, pressure of being on stage to perform something that classical? Yeah, you know what? I think there there's definitely a difference in the pressure that I might put on myself um, when it comes to singing something classical versus the musical theater um, or an aria from some opera um, kind of takes different, it takes a little bit of different skill. Um, and as of right now, I mean, I've spent, oh goodness, um, over 30 years in musical theater um, because I started when I was three, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> She's only 33. No. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like, it. for me, it's, it's well, maybe for anybody. It's very technical. It's a lot more technical in opera, but where you, like, place or, you know, resonate your sound and all of that. And I feel like I come alive when I'm singing. And I know that that sounds... That could be interpreted, you know, in a few different ways. But for me, it's like, I feel like it's it's me. I need that outlet. I need to sing because the music um, helps me to express something that I wouldn't otherwise be able to express on my own, right? So No, no. I, I fully get that, especially yeah. in a, a writing and directing capacity. If, if I cannot write, I cannot express. So I do mm-hmm. fully understand it's, it's in that kind of same ballpark as a creative that you really need that. It's so true. It's funny because even here, so right now I'm sitting in my recording studio in my house and this is my safe haven. And if I need to, you know, come and belt it out because I was upset or something fantastic happened, it's like sometimes I just can't put into words, you know, what it is that I'm feeling, but I am definitely feeling. And so singing in here is like the best thing. It's therapy for me. On, on the kind of flip side of that, and there's, there's two kind of questions that I do want to ask you here yeah. uh, regarding uh, you being on stage especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, being uh, pushed off the stage is one thing, <laughs> but yeah. sh- surely there's got to be something even more embarrassing than that, or has that got to be the most embarrassing thing that has happened? Oh, no, that was uh, just the beginning of a lot of things. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, I've had quite a few embarrassing things. I've also had a few, a couple of funny things that have happened. Um, I was in Wizard of Oz once, and this was like in the beginning of my career when I think I was like 12. Okay. Um, I played the Tin Man, surprisingly. Oh, nice. And <laughs> yeah, don't ask. That was an interesting summer. So the lion and Dorothy and I were walking, you know, on the yellow brick road and all of a sudden, Toto runs off into the audience. And we all are standing there like, what do we do? And here I'm, you know, I have this big costume on. I couldn't like 
go and help and pick up the dog because I couldn't bend over. Um, so ultimately, uh, Dorothy's mom got the dog from like the back of the auditorium and brought the dog back to the stage. <laughs> I was like, carry on. That was pretty funny. Annie M was obviously too busy to get involved. Yeah, apparently she was slacking that day, or maybe she was napping or something. <laughs> okay, so we touched on the in memoriam section earlier, <laughs> um, and the, this year has just been an absolute just. It's it's been a it's been a cluster f word of just weird decisions, uh, things like no clips for the uh, films. The, the in memoriam section sped up. The 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 and one of the biggest ones has been the the movement of the best actor award from early on to the very end, replacing the best picture award. I'm sure there's a reason behind why they've done it. Well, I, I just don't know exactly what that reason is. From what we can gather, uh, now the the awards at the Oscars they are the the actual results in the envelopes. Those are kept under basically under lock and key. Yep. You you get up to the side of the stage. Someone from I think it's Price Waterhouse Coopers. The uh, I don't even know what they do. They do like administration, all kinds of stuff. But they hand you an envelope which is sealed, and the envelopes themselves are guarded to make sure that no one else gets them. So you don't know the results until you actually go on stage. I think the idea was that the Best Actor award was going to go posthumously to Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. And then there was going to be a um, a retrospective about him and his career to round off the night, but it didn't. It ended up going to Anthony Hopkins, who pre- wasn't there. Who wasn't there? <laughs> and allegedly, uh, from what I was reading earlier, uh, Olivia Coleman, yes, she was supposed to be accepting the award on his behalf, but it uh, basically got cut for running t- oh. for, apparently for running time. Hmm. So it's just such a weird way to finish off the show. It really, it really was. It was very anticlimactic. Apparently, the last time that happened was about 1972, from what I was reading. Hmm. And it, it, it's the only reason that I can think of it is they wanted to do a retrospective for Chadwick, and it didn't happen. Well, he was really the front runner. I mean, he won so many other awards. It was kind of like that was the assumption. Uh, to be honest, I was kind of expecting you to come out and say, you know, it was. It was going to be Chadwick Boseman, and then out came, it's La La Land. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have marked out for that if that would have happened. That would have been like, yes, justice for La La Land. Oh, that would have been really... (laughs) Eat that moonlight. (laughs) No, someone needs to do that, actually. Next time they're opening it up, they just need to go, and the winner is La La Land. Oh, sorry. No, the best costume award goes to... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually just looked this up to see when the last time that the Oscars um, did have a switch in their uh-huh. awards. It was 1971. Um, Best Picture was followed by an award for Charlie Chaplin. Ah, uh, right. Uh, well, that mm-hmm. makes sense. So mm-hmm. what was that, a Lifetime Achievement Award or something? Uh, it just says a special honorary award. Yeah. So yep. basically it's, it's the um, Special Achievement Award. I was watching one the other day, funnily enough, where I think it was Jack Lemmon was presenting one to Groucho Marx uh, at the Oscars because I thought, oh, Groucho's going to have like probably one of the the greatest, you know, comebacks in the Oscars or something like that, and he's, he's really going to fire off, you know, a joke a minute. And it wasn't; it was very somber and serious. And I was like, well, that was a bit of a letdown. Uh, on occasion, they have done these um, special awards. You know, it's like they do at the the Brit Awards when they bring 
the Bee Gees out every 10 years. The movie industry has been hit like everything else has with the coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Um, productions are down. Um, cinema <laughs> revenues we know are it. down. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, no. Well, look at me. I've got two movies. One I was supposed to be doing and one I started doing. But, hey, you know, it's all going to bounce back. That's the main thing. You know, I, I think when you look at it, um, I mean, look at the movies that did win. I mean, Chloe Zhao is now, you know, she's made history as only the second woman to win Best Director. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think if... Uh, I'm not saying anything against Nomad Line because I think it is a fantastic film. It really is. Um, I haven't seen and, it. And I she have seen it too. <laughs> yeah, she, and she is an incredible talent. But I think a lot of these films that were nominated may not have been nominated if things were normal. Right? If, if, you know, a lot of movies have been... I'm not saying, you know, um, Ghostbusters Afterlife and and Top Gun, <laughs> whatever it's called. Well, you know, we'd have had movies, James Bond as well, wouldn't we? I, I'm convinced these movies don't actually exist. They're just very smartly made trailers. <laughs> and they're just leading us along as much as possible. This film really does exist. So we we will see because I've already forgotten that they were, did another James Bond movie. <laughs> so now I've got to be reminded <laughs> that that film actually does exist. I think it was Bill Daly who reminded me that the film was actually made and just keeps getting put back. I don't know, just release it on streaming for God's sake. You've seen what's happened with stuff like uh, the Snyder Cut and uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Just release the damn thing. Mm-hmm. At least make some money back, for God's sake. Don't just leave it in the vault. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to someone in the business the other day, um, you know, very prolific director, and we are talking about Black Widow, and he said, you know what, I have absolutely no interest in Black Widow anymore. And it's like, well, okay, that's that's kind of weird to hear because Marvel can usually do no wrong but now Marvel have decided that they are actually going to release it through Disney Plus mm-hmm. uh, at the same time and it's like good because look at us we can't even go to the cinemas yet here in the UK yeah and I you think know? I think we can here maybe in, yeah but, uh, here but you is... haven't have you I haven't no <laughs> no that's because but... you have sense yes exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but, you know, one of the things that I think is really neat about this past year is that um, we're finding that there are so many more ways that we can get films out to people. And even though I feel like, I mean, let me be honest, I really don't know much about a lot of the movies that were in the Oscars this year. It's awful. I mean, I loved Promising Young Woman, but I was surprised that that was a contender. Um, it doesn't look, just from the trailer, it doesn't look like it should have been. No, it's very different, but it's it's actually really good, and she is fantastic in it. Um, and every woman should see it. Um, but now we have this like tried and tested way of getting these films and some of the more you know different or independent type films out to people who would not normally be drawn to them. I think because everybody's been stuck in their homes, I I would be interested to see how it affects what the movies bring in how it has if it has i have the most uncomfortable times in cinemas exactly uh, to where i now go to that row that has the walkway mm-hmm. and i will happily sit there with the screen absolutely huge because no one i can sit in them seats as long as no one is sat in front of me because 
my knees ride up the back of the next seat. I am really that tall, as people who have met me know. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, screw it. I'll just throw my legs over the seat in front. You know, and, and that is the comfort, comfort for me. But I can't do that now. And, and it was even worse, like, 20 years ago. Now they're a bit more considerate to it. But I think the main thing that cinemas now have to adopt is reassurance to anyone who goes to the cinema now that it's not actually illegal to take your own food and drink here. <laughs> I'd go for that. Uh, they don't search your bag. Nope. They don't search your pockets. I happily walked in there with a gigantic bag of Skittles in my hand. You know, I would walk in there with a Subway sandwich if it comes to it. <laughs> order a no pizza. No, order a pizza taking... in the cinema. Order a pizza. Here's a good question for you. What was the last movie you went to see? <gasps> oh, my cinema? goodness. In the cinema. Good question. Like, in a different one. See, what's actually kind of funny, we actually have a we did, movie. We didn't get to go, we didn't no, get we, to go in L.A. Because we were we going not, to, and we didn't. We did not go in L.A. And honestly, I don't know if I saw anything since then. Um, I actually am one, too, though, who really likes watching movies at home. Because if you don't, if you need a break, or... Your bum gets tired of sitting. You can get and move around. You can go to the bathroom. You can, you know, let the dogs out, whatever. Um, so I appreciate that. And, and I will say I am a little bit spoiled because we have a nice movie theater in the house. And we have a reclining chair and I can get comfortable. But I, I mean, I just can't even think of the last movie that I saw in the theater. Um, I, I, you've, you've got me thinking, Andy. I think, I think mine was actually I know Rise exactly what the last film. Nope. It wasn't. Did we see something else in the new year? I know you have tried. I know you have tried to block this out of your mind, Steve. I know exactly what the last movie we went to see was. Oh no, 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 no! Let's be honest. That was the movie that you tried to block out of your mind. I just didn't give two <laughs> dams about. Yes, Rambo: Last Blood. Oh god! I wait, can't that... that's the last thing I went to the cinema to see. That was that. Wait, when was that released? Um. I, I blocked out the date. No, no, no. That was That was twenty nineteen. That was twenty nineteen. I remember that because we first had the yeah. we had the first attempt at doing this podcast about a day or so after <laughs> when I was still angry. You were pissed <laughs> off at that movie, and I just didn't give oh. a shit. <laughs> didn't care. <laughs> I, I I must have vented for fifty minutes straight. And felt it felt so cathartic to do, uh, but yeah, that was the last thing. And I cancelled my cinema membership after it. That's how much I hated that movie. Yeah. But then I realised when the pandemic started, I said the the next time I'm going to see a movie, I'm going to just go to the New Beverly Cinema in LA when I was going, which I never got to do. <laughs> but um, and I didn't get to do that. And now I regret that so much that I didn't go and see. I think it was. Freebie and the Bean and Busting, which was a double bill, and I didn't get to go, uh, and I regret that now. You know, I think I just figured out what I watched last in the theater. Go on, what was it? Um, Crazy Rich Asians. No, see, that's it. what I went to. Actually, you have no. What did you that's say? Not you a bad choice. That's a really good movie. It is really good, and I rem- we went. Um, I say we because I went with some girlfriends, so I am pretty sure and. That movie, I think, was 2018, so it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. 
it has been a while. Hopefully, the next movie we'll go and see will have you in it. Yes. That would, that would be really and, fun, yeah. But now is a little side part of our podcast that I really want to do, and you're kind of going to be the guinea pig on it. So if it really sucks, we're never doing it again, but okay? <laughs> you can edit it out. So, we need, wait, we need Neil to do a jingle for this bit, don't we? Hit it, Neil. So, well, what I'm calling it is the Nominate Five. And the Nominate Five is when we're going to get our guests to basically tell us five movies uh, that kind of should go into a Hall of Fame if they had the choice. And obviously, mm. they're a movie that ha- has had an influence on them. And looking up, I kind of gave you a heads up that we were going to do this. So I want to know what they are and why, Becca. So let's start down from number five. Oh, we had to do them in order? Oh, well, no, just throw them okay. out in any order. Who cares? Okay, I'm just going to throw them out. So I would say I think like my ultimate most favorite movie ever is um, What Dreams May Come. So that's Great. been really influential for me. I think it's just, you know, it's one of those stories that while it's so deep and emotional and there's, you know, darkness and sadness in it, it really, it sends home this message that you can... One, like, if you you find what you're looking for, if you're looking to have happiness and joy in your life, then you can go and seek it out and make it happen for yourself. But if you look at things in a negative way, it, you know, then that's what you have. So you can, you control your own destiny. Um, and I, I love Rob, oh, I love Robin Williams so much. Um, but I thought he just put so much heart and passion into his role and, it's you know who doesn't want to be loved like that where your husband comes to take you out of hell um it's just really it was profoundly impactful on me um okay, move along number four okay moving along i would say et and the reason why um actually i'm going to pair it with my other one number three okay at et and annie and those are two mov- movies that were like the first for me so i et I was five or six years old, and my dad took me to see that, just the two of us. And I think that was the first time I'd ever gone to a movie. And, you know, the movie is... I don't, I just love E.T. He's so cute. And I'm sure I came back wanting to be Drew Barrymore or whatever. That movie then, actually and... scared the pants out of me. Really? I, I, yeah, I could see when you're little. Yeah, I think it was about two or three, and my uncle had got hold of a... Um... A bootleg version and come over to my parents and I just spent most of it to hide him behind the couch. And as a nice little bit of trivia, uh, Beckon, uh, you and I actually journeyed to the street where those bikes took off when we were oh, in LA right. last year. No took us there. Is that where we were? Um, where we kind of went off on our own and <laughs> they had security looking for us? Oh no, that was when we were at Universal. That's a right. story oh. that we have. That entire Universal <laughs> trip has to be told on another episode one day. That's a whole other podcast. I got it. I'm amazed we didn't get arrested. Um, <laughs> and so that Annie, was why E.T. and Annie? Yeah. Annie was, I mean, who doesn't want to be like this little girl who goes from rags to riches? I'm still looking for Daddy Warbucks. I mean, come on. Would I have to be the um, little girl? Would Would you have to be the little what? girl? <laughs> it's a who wouldn't want to be a little girl oh, who goes oh, oh, yeah. do I have right. to be a little girl can you... I just have the rags and ridges and ginger 
I, well, and I, my favorite character was actually Grace. I just thought she was so pretty and when they danced and, you know, it was kind of also my big intro into these big musicals. Um, I've never done Annie, surprisingly, actually. Okay. I have actually. Yeah. Did again, you? What did you? Oh, I, I, was, I was just, I was basically, oh. I was background. <laughs> I was just like, I was like the laundry man at the beginning. I was a cop and yeah. And, and I know exactly what you're getting at, Andrew, but I'm not rising to it. Okay. So okay. number three. Um, well, those were three. Well, number number four. three was number four. Um, Wizard number of Oz. No, Wizard of Oz, brilliant. Just for every reason that we all like it. And I remember when it would come on TV when I was little, I think it was like, you know, maybe once a year or every six months or something. And it was always a big to do. And we would sit down and watch it. What I really like about it now as as an adult and what I think I was like teaching my kids or any of the theater kids that I would have worked with is... It's like we can search and search and search for something that we don't think we have only to then realize that we really have had it all along. You know, it's like it's um, it's kind of like uh, I actually read a quote on Instagram today, which was as long as you have food on the table, a roof over your head, then you are rich. Right. That kind of thing. And it's like I think so many times we all go in seek of something um, like they were looking for a heart and yeah. courage and all that. But, you know, they really had it. It was just they needed help realizing it. Do so. you have extra fondness for that because you were actually in it when you were younger? Actually, no. No, I was way into Wizard of Oz before I even had the chance to do it. And boy, I fought to try to get to play Dorothy. But <laughs> <laughs> you wanted the gingham dress, didn't you? Exactly. Yes. Carry the dog on stage and have a little basket. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you do carry plenty of dogs around at the moment. I do. I do. Number one is The Truman Show. Wow. Surprised well, you, choice. didn't I? Yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I would never have guessed that. So tell us. Okay. So in fairness, like the... The biggest reason that that's like the most influential and special movie to me is that I saw that movie in a drive-in theater, like in Westlake, Ohio, um, with Josh, my husband, and that was the time when he decided to propose to me. So we have a special affinity for the movie. We've made our kids watch it several times, too. But it just, you know, it's like a really nice memory of seeing it. Um, But Truman is such a everyday guy, you know, just like everybody else. And he's kind of he ends up seeking his ultimate truth. Right. And and there's this confusion between what is obviously what is real and what is not and how everybody else can kind of influence your life. Um, I, I I love it. I thought it, I think it's really good. I love movies where you walk away going, "Wow, I just learned a lot." I think that is a movie, especially about um, discovering your own individuality. You know, yeah. And, and as a creative, I think it speaks to like people like us because it's about you know finding you know yourself, and you're kind of surrounded in this 
world that is, you know, it's it's very manufactured. It's very, you must do this and you must do this. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's something very deep and uh, metaphorical about that in mm-hmm. creatives. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as, as well as this whole, you know, reality TV culture, because I think that came out I think it came out around the same time as Ed TV. Yeah, and it was also when Big Brother, I think, had just started, like literally just the first season or something had gone on in uh, the Netherlands or wherever wherever it originally began. And yeah, it was the whole kind of birth of reality TV show around that time. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the one part which always sticks with me. Isn't it? Isn't like the rest of the film. It's that one scene that's right at the very end, where the two oh, yeah. security guards are in the the little hut, and they say, "Oh, see what else is on." After yeah. everything that they've seen, yeah. they just they're ready to just discard it and then move on. And I think that says an awful lot about the nature of reality TV. It is so discardable. Mm-hmm. It's just filling up airtime. To be honest, Steve, I'm just absolutely amazed that you've seen it. Knowing that you have not seen hardly any classic movies that basically are rated as fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, if you follow the whole Rotten Tomatoes fresh system. Well, mm-hmm. out of out of those five movies of Becker's, mm-hmm. I have seen three of them. That's not bad going. I've so seen The Truman have... Show, I've mm-hmm. seen The Wizard of Oz, and I've seen E.T., or as it's known in French, and I've seen all three of those. <laughs> Linguists in the good. audience will get that one. Thank you very I much. I got that one. Um, oh, real too late in the day. <laughs> you, you really should sit down and and watch what dreams may come, or read the book, and then. Yeah, oh, it's I, think, a book. I think the book is a good. Yeah, yeah it's a book. I think the book is a good call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and it's always like I always think that the books are better. There have been maybe a couple of times when um, the movies out done the book but it, it's really it's really good the whole story is oh. well becca you're going to be a recurring guest on this we are going to bring oh, you in yeah. again wonderful. and again it's been absolutely wonderful Thank having you with us today oh i'm it's i'm so honored to be here um and i've had a lot of fun well thank you and it has been an absolute pleasure but don't think you're getting away steve because we have one little section here dedicated Solely for your education. <sighs> because Steve has not seen a lot of movies. No, more to the point, I I haven't seen anything really more than populist <laughs> movies, I think we should say. Yes, which for an actor, I was very surprised at a lot of movies that you hadn't seen. So I have created a bowl full of paper here with titles on them. And I'm going to randomly pull one out every week. And you're going to watch it the night before our next podcast because you are going to give us your little critique of a movie. And to be fair, I have double-checked that every one of these movies is certified fresh. Oh, good. Okay. I actually think there should be a point in the future where we watch some terrible movies deliberately and then see what we We've been doing that for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) There's only so many times you can watch them. I did watch Mortal Kombat the other day, and I'm 50-50 on it. Oh, so, no, some of the things I'm thinking of just make Mortal Kombat look like oh, bloody Citizen Kane. So, are you ready for week number one? And, Becky, you can join in as well. You can watch it as well. So, And okay. everyone, everyone listening, if you want to chime in, 
watch this movie uh, join a discussion on uh, Facebook and all those other social media places yep all the links are going to be below yes all the links will be below and drum roll please Sounds deep like breath you're <laughs> I have okay. actually got the cat next to me he's been asleep all throughout this your movie of choice <laughs> this is by no means rigged at all this actually did come out as is it what dreams movie. may come no no it's not but it's a film that I was talking about on Facebook the other day uh, that some people noticed and it is uh, the 2002 movie about Schmidt starring Jack Nicholson Oh, right. So, okay. Haven't seen Alexander it. Alexander Payne. Uh, it's a, a really great film. I believe Jack Nicholson won the Oscar for it, I believe. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, hold on. Wasn't that wasn't that uh, as good as it gets that you won the Oscar yes, for? but I think he won an Oscar for this as well. I'm going to be totally wrong now. Uh, if I am, I blame it on the food poisoning and the fact that we've been scrambling around today and I've been shouting at Sky Engineers to get my internet back and working before I murder them. So... Join in. We're next week. Uh, I believe, all fingers crossed, we are going to have our very own composer Neil Pretty here. Ooh, that's exciting! And I believe we are also going to have one of his music tracks from his new album is going to be featured on the podcast as well. Ooh, plug, plug, plug! Actually, plug, plug, before we plug. go, uh, Becca, is there anything that you would like to plug? Yes. Um, okay, I, you know what? I have some projects in the works. Um, so some things that I can't really discuss openly but let's just say i'm really excited and i think i'll have a busy year working with some really talented people and um can you name them and can i name them yeah um andrew i think you're one of them <gasps> I'm, like I'm, gasp that's, oh, i think you are it. too steve <gasps> oh my god and they, this is not in a realm of podcast this is actual yeah movie work we can at least yes. say that as much. I guess my job until then is actually to get in really good shape. So I have like abs and buns of steel and you know all that. that. That's that's <laughs> what I've been saying for 12 months. Yes. I'm so, going to have a kebab. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to tell the story one night of the infamous kebabalicious kebab, Steve. Oh, yes, we will. But that's a story... <laughs> For another, for another time. time. Uh, thank you, everyone, who has actually took the time uh, to listen to our first episode of Partywood. Uh, we've got tremendous guests lined up, up upwards of the next five months. It's pretty mm -hmm. impressive. And I want to thank everybody who has been very uh, upfront and supportive of this new venture of ours. Uh, this is one of the main reasons why we, we pulled no punches to get this episode recorded today. Mm -hmm. Uh, for now, though, big thank you, Becca Marks. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. It's been a blast. I have been uh, Steve Hester. I have been Andrew Roger Carson. And that is Pottywood. We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.